Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be with you this morning again, and I just want to thank you all, Pastor Van Geldern and Baptist College of Ministry, just for the privilege to spend these few days with you. And uh, it's just an encouragement to see young people that are burdened, uh, for God to use them, and I've already demonstrated that in the surrenders that have brought you here even uh, to this place and this morning. And uh, this is just the beginning of what God wants to do in your life. The real test of uh, our surrender is where we are 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now. And we'll talk about that here. I just want to visit with you just for a moment and uh, talk a little bit about Precious Stones Biblical Counseling Ministries. Um, we are just dedicated to partnering with local churches and pastors all over the U.S. and really around the world with crisis situations. And uh, I can promise you that uh, while I certainly had a vision and a desire for discipling people, uh, I never anticipated that door opening as it has, particularly at this time in my life. In fact, I uh, don't have any social media account, and for years I had no website or anything, and my phone just started ringing off the hook. And uh, just a couple years ago, we realized we need to make this more formal. Uh, for legal purposes, and so uh, it's just amazing that when God uh, leads you in your life, uh, He just confirms that direction with multiple witnesses, and uh, just gives you leadership down the path you need to walk, and I promise every day of my life, I'm just reminded of the fact that I can't see beyond my nose. I'm just following the shepherd. He knows my life better than I do. And I just want to be a faithful servant, and I hope that's how you feel as you approach life as well. God wants to be people of vision. He wants you to be a person of vision. He wants to give you a vision of what He wants you to do, and He's going to use the circumstances and experiences in your life to sharpen that perspective. And as God does that, you're going to find yourself just having incredible clarity even in the next years ahead as God just confirms the mission He's called you for. And I just want to mention, as we uh, do just partner with pastors all over the U.S. and uh, beyond, that uh, you know, my commitment is really to keep counseling in the local church, because the local church is the emergency room for our world today. And uh, I just find there's certainly a lot of crisis situations we're facing in an epidemic kind of way, spiritually speaking, across our nation and well beyond and uh, I'm all about reaching out to street bums. Once a month, I do go to a local rescue mission in Indianapolis, reach out to men there. But the nature of our ministry and the folks God brings to our ministry happens to be uh, great people from good churches like this one and others. And so we're just grateful to be able to come alongside and, if I may say, make unprofitable servants profitable again. And uh, I'm so glad God has such long-suffering and vision for all of our lives to give us hope if we'll just respond to Him. And uh, so sometimes uh, circumstances in individuals' lives just need specialized care, intensive care. And that's where we just come in and just partner alongside with what pastors are already doing uh, with their people. Um, I also just wanted to mention that uh, as we continue to uh, look at notes today, I want to just invite you to consider that if God is just impressing in your life the ministry of counseling, and I just want to say because you're a believer, God's called you to discipleship. That's the great commission. He's called us to go and 
preach the gospel to every creature, but also to disciple them in the things that uh, Jesus has taught us. That's discipleship. Counseling is very much an aspect of that, one-on-one ministry, just helping people be able to resolve issues in their lives, become profitable servants again, and just be able to find lasting traction for real victory in their lives. And you know, as we do walk through uh, circumstances with people, I'm just reminded of the fact that sometimes God impresses in different individuals' lives a unique burden for helping people in deep ways um, through the discipleship process. And uh, we often think of that as counseling. Um, But counseling in our day does come with a lot of baggage behind that word. And I love the Bible word, discipleship. Uh, But those concepts are just so well illustrated. And one thing we're just trying to do is put those resources, much of like we've walked through this week, into a a context called the Institute for Christ's Life Counseling. And uh, that comes, each module that we do comes with a very full workbook of resources that you can turn around and use in your own ministry. And uh, this year we're anticipating doing another module on sexual addiction and sexual abuse recovery. Uh, This past year we did one on uh, introduction to biblical counseling. And I think we crammed five five days of training into about three days. So maybe we'll uh, adjust uh, our content a little bit and make it not quite so intense. Um, but I just offer that to you. Now, as respected to this uh, week here, um, several of you have asked about notes, and I just want to offer as the conference notebook um, all the PowerPoints uh, to you that we have walked through this week. And we'll make those available at the college office, and you can just reach out to them perhaps next week. I'll try to have those to the office later this week. And those will be available as uh, non-editable files. Uh, They'll be available in a keynote format, a PowerPoint format, and then also a PDF format. And so whatever format works for you, the college office will be able to help you with that. And I'm just simply asking that if God can use those notes in your life uh, to just be an encouragement in your personal walk, I hope that that's a purpose they're there for. Um, I'm just asking, don't turn around and start using them um, in a way that uh, is uh, teaching them to other folks. Yes, the concepts are the Bible. I hope that's the case. We're trying to keep it that way. Um, Everything that is in every slide has our website on it. And uh, so I do encourage you, perhaps there's a specific slide that um, just captures something, a concept that you're trying to help someone understand. I do encourage folks that a visual can be worth a thousand words. And so just being able to share that just as almost like a chart or something can be incredibly helpful. And if one of those slides would be useful to you uh, for that purpose, you're welcome to use that. Well, you have your Bibles. And let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. This morning, I want to continue our theme on the subject, Power Through Surrender. Power Through Surrender. We've talked this week about the importance of living a life that's marked by power. Power with God and power with men. God has ordained you for this very hour. He's called this generation to this century. And we've given a, been given a sacred stewardship 
for every life on this planet. It's an incredible and sobering, yes, impossible thing. And as we think about that, it's incredible, especially for any of you that are visionaries, to just be overwhelmed and to begin to dream as high as the sky of just how maybe God wants to use you for this hour. I know I can sit on the edge of my seat and get excited about that. I know when I'm in a place like Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry, hear men like Dr. Zempel preach, it just casts a vision for our lives and being able to think outside of our little box and realize that God is doing some big things and He wants to use you, not because He needs you, but because He, yes, does need a body to work through and manifest Himself through. And uh, the key to that is being first in the place of being a clean vessel. We talked about that yesterday. But today, I want to turn the corner. I want to look on the subject of being wholly yielded. Wholly yielded. Jesus gives some remarkable statements in Luke chapter 9. You're already there. Let me catch up with you. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, as Jesus helps us to understand the demands of discipleship and even more the demands of power with God and power with men. He's telling his disciples, these men that are one day going to be standing at Pentecost, seeing literally thousands come to know Christ, and he says these words in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same will save it. Father in heaven, I just pray that you would teach us this morning Father, the concept of surrender is no foreign concept here. But Father, as we come to this subject this morning, I pray that we would consider a perspective of surrender that perhaps we've never thought about before. And Father, I just pray that you would strengthen our faith and strengthen our trust in the one who sees so far beyond our own perspective. Help us this morning. Make us different people because of today, because of the word. In your precious name, because you care. Amen. I love that passage in Scripture because it, Jesus paints for his disciples just the expectations for having power with God, power with men. I remember uh, when I was seven years old, uh, my parents had a, a friend that was getting married. And so the, our whole family went to the wedding. I distinctly remember this event sitting in the audience watching the ceremony, and as a seven-year-old, I'll never forget, and the only thing I remember about the ceremony is this question that the pastor asked of the groom. What are you going to do to support this wife? I've never heard that question ever in a wedding ceremony, but I remember that question being asked there in that particular ceremony. And I remember walking away that day just completely concerned about how in the world I would answer that question as if I were going to be walking the aisle the next week. I was only seven years old, and I wasn't half as concerned about marriage. I was concerned about what was I going to do with my life. And God used that question that day 
to get me to think, what in the world am I going to do with my life? Now, I'm amazed how God's given me a lot of time to find an answer to that question. But I want to encourage you as we consider God's expectations for us, that God is calling you to something bigger than just having a means to provide for yourself. He's calling you to something bigger that's, uh, than just providing for a family someday. Yes, all of those are important pieces, but that uh, question at that wedding that day was something God used in a profound way to bring me to my first recognition of my need for surrender. For the next three years, I wrestled in my mind thinking, what in the world would God want me to do? I knew there was one thing I absolutely did not want to do, and that was ministry. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to be in front of people. I was a very shy soul, and the fact is I still struggle with that today. And as I was there uh, at 10 years old, I remember just trying to offer God over those three years every kind of uh, option that I could think of, like any young boy does. Oh, I want to be a fireman. Or just think how many tracks I could give if I were that UPS delivery guy. And every package I deliver, I hand uh, the individual a gospel tract. Literally, I was thinking, and I remember so clearly thinking in my mind, how could I please God and yet somehow do what I feel comfortable with doing? And God used all of that in those three years in my life to bring me to my knees when I was 10 years old to say, God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on my doorstep calling me to surrender for the ministry. Now maybe your experience, and undoubtedly your experience is different, but God uses any number of circumstances to bring you and I to the place of absolute surrender to him. And that was a life-changing day for me, a day I will not forget there as I was 10 years old. And the next big question was, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? I've surrendered to you. What is it that you want me to do with my life? And it was uh, over the next four years that the thing that kept arresting my attention, again, this is back in the 1980s, was all the missions conferences and all the missionaries that would be coming through our church. And I can remember our church down in South Carolina hosting several churches for large missions conferences. And God used that in such a powerful way in my life to just cast a vision for a world so much bigger than the one in front of me. And I remember after every presentation thinking, Lord, would you have me for Germany? Lord, would you have me for the Philippines? And by the time I was 14, I was just so arrested in my attention for, for, uh, for the Far East that I remember finally coming at the age of 14 and saying, Lord, I'm just dedicating my life to you uh, for foreign missions. And it's amazing how God continues to work in our lives to just sharpen and shape his perspective, his vision for what he wants us to do. And at that time, and over the next several years, all the way into my 20s, I remember taking every possible advantage I could to travel around the world and be able to be involved in missions opportunities in Europe and in Asia. And it was an incredible, life-changing opportunity. And I remember being 
confronted with certain prejudices in my life, um, even at that time. I can remember because the missionary God used in such a powerful way in my life was a neighbor of mine. His name was Otto Koning. Um, it just uh, had a profound impact on my life. And uh, so I had kind of embraced his uh, uh, romantic view of uh, pioneer missions in some remote uh, people group. And, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, there's one group of people I absolutely have no interest in being able to help. This is around 2001. Guess which people group? Muslims. And God, in his providence, took me all the way out to a place in western China near Kazakhstan. And I'll tell you, no place so arrested my attention with the need for the gospel than that incredibly large Muslim town. Millions of people out in the Gobi Desert, destitute spiritually. And God shattered a prejudice or a reserve in my soul through that experience. Now, I'm going somewhere with all of this because all of you are scratching your heads and thinking, well, how is it that you're in counseling today? And I just want to say it's amazing that as God works in our lives, he often works in ways to be able to bring us to fuller and deeper surrenders, not necessarily because he's calling you to that, but he's trying to break down every barrier so that he has all of you to clarify exactly what he's calling you to. And by the way, it's amazing that God's vision for us, as big as you think that vision is, that God is beginning to shape in your soul, God's vision for you may look a little bit different, but I promise you his vision for you is bigger than your vision for you. Even if the vision you have for you is in part the vision God has given to you. And so it is an amazing thing that now as God continues to develop his work in our lives, I want to share this morning some of the most important lessons I've been learning and am still learning on what surrender is. Because as we come to this subject, we can sometimes so effectively preach the truth to others and uh, we need to, but there's sometimes still a lot of unanswered questions. And God uses our walk with him to clarify surrender. And so this morning, I want to just be able to develop with you just some simple thoughts that I hope will be a help to you in being able to walk a life, live a life marked by power with God, power with men who absolute surrender. I said yesterday that God has called you to something big, something special, something only you can do. That's an incredible thing to, especially for any of you that are in the room that tend to be a visionary or have an adventurous spirit about you and, and especially have, being in a context that nurtures your faith in God. But I want to draw your attention to a man God used in a powerful way. His name was Jonah. And we always remember Jonah for his book in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. But do you realize 2 Kings gives us a little piece of his story that we often don't consider? And that is given to us in 2 Kings chapter 14, 25. It's only one verse. It's a passing statement. You almost could miss it if you're not... Uh, focused, and it talks about how that King Jeroboam 
restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath into the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the prophet. And as we read that text, there's a lot of uh, information that is lacking from the verse, but there's a lot that is there as well. Imagine Jonah uh, being called of God to the ministry of a prophet. And God's first assignment to this man is to be the palace chaplain for King Jeroboam. Now, we don't have anything in the Bible that gives us any hint that he worked as a palace chaplain. Uh, but we do know that men like Isaiah and others certainly did, and their words had incredible impact in the decisions uh, that kings made. And so whether he was a palace chaplain or not, it is fascinating to me that God's first commission to this man is to go and prophesy that God's getting ready to enlarge our borders here in Israel. Now, do you know how good that kind of message would be to give in Israel today? I promise you that is a message that would not have met much resistance uh, as Jonah would have preached. God's getting ready to expand our borders. And that's the message that God commissions Jonah to give. And God answers, God fulfills that vision uh, through King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam was certainly no friend of God but God in his providence had a, still a plan for Israel at that time and was still working through his men to give leadership for that era. And I can imagine just trying to fill between the lines what Jonah must have been thinking as he's contemplating what ministry looks like ahead for him. Lord, this is just exactly what I've always wanted. I can't imagine what the future holds for me. These, this is the best message I could have ever had the chance to give, and I'm looking forward to the next assignment. And not only did I prophesy something that was beyond my lifetime, I've been able to live to see its fulfillment. This is an amazing thing. But as we look at Jonah chapter 1, we discover a second commission that came absolutely as a startling surprise. Now the word of the Lord came into Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. And as we know the rest of the story, it was a wrestling match in the soul of Jonah to come to a place of full surrender. And I want to just capture for us what is full surrender. Those are easy words to say, but it's amazing how the Spirit of God tests that, clarifies that, proves that in all of our lives. Sometimes we believe, at least in the best of our understanding, that we are surrendered, and then God uh, speaks into our lives and gives direction that just blindsides us. It uh, counteracts our uh, prejudices, or it... Uh, shatters kind of the dream that we had shaped for ourselves or for our future. And, and so as we consider these things, I hope this will be a help. I first, as we get there, I want to remind you why God first has the right to your life. First, he has the right to your life because he made you. 
I love Psalm 139.14, and as we, this verse has almost become a life verse for me because it impacts so much of the way we approach life. Psalm 139.14 says, You are handsomely, beautifully made. Does it say that? It says, You are fearfully, sacredly, and wonderfully awesomely, emphasis on all. Marvelous is thy work, and that my soul knows right well. You realize that when God made you, he made you fearfully, sacredly, and wonderfully, awesomely. As we consider that, that perspective absolutely shapes the way we encounter sin how we uh, approach the moral battles in our lives. And I'll leave that for our discussion we had yesterday. But Psalm 139 lifts our perspective to just how God has not made us just animals to satisfy and gratify our flesh. But he's called you to something uh, to bring honor and glory to himself. God has the right to you because he made you. God also has the right to you because he bought you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 reminds us that we've been bought with the precious blood. 1 Peter says, it's not been with gold or silver that we've been purchased, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has the right to you because he bought you. God also has the right to you because he's ordained you. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus told his disciples, it wasn't you that chose me. But I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And as true as that was for the disciples that day, that is true for your life as well. God has the right to your life because he made you. He has the right to your life because he bought you and he has the right to your life because he ordained you. I want to help us to understand why you can trust God with your life. I am amazed how much I'm afraid to entrust my life to someone else because I feel like I can navigate my own life when in fact I can't even see beyond my nose. It's amazing to me how scared we are to entrust our lives to someone who's existed before the beginning of time and sees the future like it's already happened and somehow we feel like we can navigate our future so much better when we can't even see the next day. And I want to encourage you with the fact that you can trust God for these seven reasons. You can trust God with your life because his thoughts toward you are precious. Psalm 139 again says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand of the sea. And you are walking down a road custom designed by your Heavenly Father for you. And at different points, it can look like a beautiful meadow like Psalm 23 describes, green grass and, and uh, still waters. But other parts of that journey look like the very shadow of death. And I want to just encourage you with the fact that the same shepherd is in both contexts. And you can trust him with your life because his thoughts toward you are precious. You can trust God with your life because he knows and holds your future. 
And uh, that's also there given to us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, as he's called out. He's called out as the Alpha and Omega. He's not just the Alpha and Omega of history. He's the Alpha and Omega of your life. You can trust him with your life because he knows and holds your future. You can trust him with your life because he has your best at heart. Jeremiah 29, 11, our words uh, that Jeremiah gave to Israel that was facing a spanking from God as they were being taken into captivity. And yet Jeremiah reaches out and says, God's not against you. Uh, yes, there's sin to be purged in your life, but he's on a mission to restore you. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of uh, peace and not of evil, thoughts to give you hope and a future. And I love those words from Jeremiah 29, 11. You can also trust God with your life because he can do more with it than you can. Remember when the disciples brought uh, two loaves of bread um, uh, am I remembering that right? Two loaves of bread, five loaves of bread and two fish. That's it. Uh, to uh, the disciples and, uh, or, or to Jesus to feed this incredible multitude. And Jesus takes that small uh, little lunch, as we might think of it, and feeds 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Do you know that God wants to use your life in a way that feeds many Proverbs talks about that, and there's no one that can do more with your life than God. That's why you can trust Him with your life. As big as your vision is for you, even if part of that vision is very much God-given through rhemas from His Word, your vision for yourself will never match the vision that God not only has, but also has the ability to fulfill in your life. You can trust God with your life because he never makes mistakes. Aren't you grateful? There's a lot of authorities in our lives. I've not met one uh, perfect authority yet in my life. But there's one you can always trust and he never one time makes a mistake with your life. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. You can trust God with your life because he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's not like he's only there with you, as I said before, just in beautiful green meadows when life is going your way and the wind is blowing your direction. But he's there with you in difficult times as well. He's not just behind you. He's leading you. He's in front of you. And every step you take is a step behind a shepherd who cares more for you than you could ever care for yourself. You can trust God with your life finally because he, his will is the only place of real satisfaction. Psalm 16, 11 has helped me so much that will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so it is helpful to realize how important it is to realize God has the right to me. But also on the other side of the coin, I can trust him for several reasons. And I'm sure there are so many more we could add. I hope this just gets you thinking down the road. The enemy wants to throw all kinds of reasons why God is not trustworthy. And we're going to talk about that in the next session. Uh, I'm going to start through uh, how does God measure surrender? 
And I realize we're coming to the end of our time, but both of these sessions together we're doing this morning really dovetail together. So we'll start, we'll take a break, and we'll come back and finish these thoughts. I want to just draw your attention to the fact that the measure of full surrender in your life is the fact that God is after your affections, not just after your possessions. When Peter was there on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus came to him and called him and his brother to come and follow him. And the Bible says Peter left all and followed Jesus. Years later, we find uh, Peter's again on the Sea of Galilee fishing. This is just after Jesus' resurrection. Peter's denied the Lord and uh, now pursues the Lord when he sees the Lord walking along the edge of the Sea of Galilee. He swims to the shore and there as Jesus is fixing breakfast for the disciples, Jesus comes over to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I'm amazed that, again, a huge surrender point in Peter's life was the fact that Jesus was not just calling him to give up something in order to do something. There was something so much bigger that Jesus was after in Peter's life, and it was his affection. Peter, do you love me? I've been amazed since I was seven years old how much I have thought that surrender was all about me being willing to do something or to give up something so that I could pursue something for God. And I've just been coming to realize that God's not half as much after my possessions. Yes, He is after all of that. My abilities and anything else in my life. But the biggest thing He's after is my love. And as we come to that place, we're in the best place for usefulness. God wants your life, your life on his terms, not your surrender on your terms. This again speaks back to Jonah. I'm amazed how much God can start to give you and I a vision of what he wants to do in our lives. And we latch on and we start to paint a picture that starts to put our own perspectives into what that vision is going to look like. And we've attached Ramas to all of that uh, to help support that vision. And yes, part of it is God, but then there's part of self all over it. And yet we don't have the discernment to recognize the difference always. And it's helpful to realize, has been for me, that surrender is not half as much me surrendering to God on my terms, and we can do that even in very spiritual ways. But it's understanding that God wants your whole life, your whole life on his terms. God wants your willingness to wait on him, not your impulsiveness to work for him. This comes to us from uh, Galatians chapter 2 where Paul talks a little bit about his own journey. You'll remember from Acts 9 how God marvelously saved this man. And he goes from being Gestapo to being one of the best preachers in the church had ever seen. He was gifted. He was intelligent. uh, He uh, knew the Bible, um, knew the law, and and now having been converted was just an incredible uh, mouthpiece. But uh, as he comes uh, to uh, begin ministry there in the church, 
Uh, we find, as he gives his testimony in Galatians 2, how God calls him aside for three years. And we find a little bit of that also recorded in Acts. And it's amazing how God used those three years for Saul away from the church back in Arabia to prepare a man for unprecedented influence in the world and unprecedented power with God. I've often thought that surrender is all about me trying to take the initiative to somehow make this vision God has given to me, yes, God has given to me, to make it work. And I'm discovering the fact that the way we walk forward with power with God and power with men is discovering how much God's after our commitment to wait on Him, not passively, but expectantly and obedient, like the eyes of a servant looking to the hand of their master and as the eyes of a maid to the hand of our, her mistress, so my eyes are looking to you until that you have mercy upon me. Full surrender is also recognizing that God is after his glory, not your success. Now, I'm, committed, I'm confident God wants to make your life successful. It's interesting to me that the man born blind in John chapter 9 was a man that somehow as the disciples encountered him thought that some, someone must have done something wrong, you know, for this man to find himself in a place of blindness begging for his existence. And uh, how does this work? And Jesus comes alongside and says, this man has done nothing wrong. His parents have done nothing wrong. I've ordained this man to be blind. And I've ordained this man to be blind for this hour that I might manifest the works of God in him. And God uses that, the Lord Jesus uses that actually to open that man's eyes. Because now a different chapter, a different page in this man's book was being turned. I am so encouraged with the fact that as God calls you and I to surrender... He's calling us to something that's not about doing something for success. However, my life can bring the most glory to Him, even if it looks like spending the rest of my life in a wheelchair. If that's what brings the most glory to Him, I want to be willing. It's so important for us to live lives that are that surrendered where our focus is not doing something great for God that equals ultimate success for me, but to recognize that my life is at His mercy for one cause, His glory. And God has used the accident in my life just a couple years ago to arrest my attention. Now, every day... I'm reminded of the fact I shouldn't be here. Half of my body is numb, and I feel like I have a couple hundred pins in both arms. But, you know, I'm reminded of the fact I shouldn't even be here, or at best, a paraplegic. And, you know, I've often thought, because of the prayers of this church and others, I'm a walking miracle, and I can't thank God enough for that. But do you know that God would have been just as right if I would have been confined to a wheelchair the rest of my life? Do you realize that as God unfolds chapters in your walk with Him, He's calling you to a surrender that's primarily driven by His glory, not half as much by your success. Well, let's take a moment to pray. 
And there are a few more that we're going to add here after our break. And uh, let's just ask the Lord to continue to develop these truths in our lives. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, I just thank you for the fact that you are calling every life to power with you and power with men. But Father, that often comes at a price that looks different than we are expecting. Father, you've led us all to surrenders that bring us to this place this morning. But the proof of that surrender as you measure it will be known in how we align with your perspective. I just pray that you would continue to help us this morning. Thank you, because you care. Amen.